Hi, I'm Seth. And I'm Scott. And we are track walking. Tonight, we're going to go directly into angle grinders and see where that leads us. Um, Scott seems... Diamond cutoff disc. Diamond cutoff disc. Scott seems hesitant as in my, my flyby, f- just sort of flyby-night uh, topic suggestions here. Um, it may or may I'm not be... <laughs> Scott's a planner, and a I planner. may or may not have forgotten that it's Monday because uh, reasons having mostly to do with an epic blizzard and getting trapped in Austin, a bunch of things. But tell tell us what kind of uh, father you are, real quick. How he, did you how did you realize that it was Monday? Uh, because you sent me a message, but immediately prior to that, I did a sarcastic thing to my kids, going, "Oh." Nobody realizes it's Monday and there's chores to do. And then I sat down on the couch and immediately saw a message from Scott saying, oh, we're going to record a show. <laughs> and then I got mocked by my wife and ran upstairs. It was great. Yeah. And what I take from this is that I am your father. Yes, you can be my show <laughs> father figure guy. I'm okay with it. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm not, but we'll go with <laughs> So, uh, angle grinders. Um, seldom when you start a job, like you organize your brain, you organize your tools, you know what's going to happen. Like you're like, all right, so I need a 10 mil, need two screwdrivers and an angle grinder. Like that's just not how it is. Usually you think proper tools and then eventually you're like, all right, that didn't work. So angle grinder. Yeah, there, I think... And we, and we talked about how often we use angle grinders, and it sounds like you use yours more than I do. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of the sledgehammer and pry bar. Those seem to come out more frequently for me. Well, we could immediately get into the how many sledgehammers do you have question. I only have two, and so far knock on everything you have those have been the only two i've ever needed but for a while i only had like a i think it's a three pound dead blow hammer okay uh one of the plastic like like hammer wise like what's your hammer progression where do you go when you're gonna hit something do you have Uh, a do you have a planned progression of hammers to be honest at this point at this stage in my life seth i have pretty much elevated directly to a five pound mini sledge <laughs> is that where you go just yeah like... I've, at this point i've realized that it can do everything my three pound dead blow can but better <laughs> that's probably true so my my only the only thing is like when you're working around aluminum anything i hate steel-headed hammers sure um, so that's why I have I have a normal hammer progression. I've got like the the orange Harbor Freight whatever it is one yep, pound dead blow. dead blow. Yep. And then and then I've got a big three pound dead blow whatever size that is. Sure. Um, the big dead blow. And then I have a small brass hammer one pound brass hammer. Oh. Um, and then I have a like a pound and a half brass hammer. Um, which is not quite as precise as my little brass hammer. Do you have an and, entire hammer drawer? Yeah, absolutely. And as oh, a matter wow. of fact, I've okay. had to kick the majority of the claw hammers out of the hammer drawer because there's no room. Because then I have two, at least two different sizes of small sledge, like a pound and a half and a three pound, 
And then if things have gone really bad, I go out to the shed and I get like the sledgehammer, like whatever it is, the the five pound, seven pound giant, like yeah. I have a giant handle and I've used that working on cars. So this yep. is not like purely academic. This is, this has happened. One of, I, I don't remember who it was who told me early on that claw hammers don't, should not be around cars. The claw hammers are a different sort of things that you should not. And I get the sentiment. I do. Yeah. But it's like, if, if that's what you've got, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It, it it's a hammer. Like there yeah. are times when it's it's not necessarily the right tool, but it's not the wrong tool either. Usually, I mean, when you're hitting, like doing something, like I'm hitting <laughs> a claw hammer against a screwdriver to move a thing. Neither one of those are the right tool for the job. But sure. I've accomplished more than a few tasks doing it that way. Yeah, it's always uh, that was Jeremy Clarkston's uh, tool of choice, I believe, was just a. Uh, small small hammer and yeah you could do a phenomenal start hitting with a small hammer. yeah <laughs> so so today um well we'll move this back to this last weekend we went to go ride motorcycles in the woods yeah and this was my daughter's first time riding the honda cr85 that i totally thought was going to be my bike uh because she just decided uh she needed a motorcycle with 26 horsepower to tear around in the woods and we set it up for her and she was awesome. But as we were unloading it from the truck, I noticed there was an absurd amount of rear play in the wheels or in the rear wheel because literally every spoke was loose. Oh. How I didn't notice that before, maybe I'm not a good mechanic, maybe. And so in, in normal dirt bike fashion, we were like, whatever, we're here. It probably won't fall apart. Let's send it. So we rode and she was like, yeah, the rear felt super squirrely the whole time. Yeah, that'll happen when you've got like almost an inch of lateral play in the the rim versus the swing arm. And so I went to take it apart today, um, or actually went to take it apart last night, and, and every spoke nipple is just seized on the spoke. Like, it won't come off. Um, and so I ordered new spokes and nipples, and so I'll, I'll relace that wheel. But that, that leaves you with the, I have to disassemble this wheel and you know the there is a part of me that went through and tried actually tried to loosen the nipples and went i'm going to take this apart properly and i got one of all every nipple on that wheel i got one spoke nipple to move so so we've talked about hammers real quick so when you're trying to get those nipples loose and i'm internally giggling but i'll skip that <laughs> what are you using using needle nose you using pliers you using actually like a tiny tiny wrench i am so legit that i have a, a spoke wrench and you go oh mm. whatever spoke wrench i not only have a spoke wrench i have a spoke torque wrench for building wheels i, I assume that's probably something you should get I didn't know that until I went to build wheels. And they're like, yeah. And the last stage is, you know, to torque the spokes to like five foot pounds and then 11 foot pounds. And I was like, I have no idea how to do that. And I Googled it. And now I have a, a spoke torque wrench, which is one of my more specialized tools. God, I kind of want to look that up and see what it looks like. That sounds it cool. It looks, looks like a tiny thing. And, and it's got, I've got like the one, the fancy one that's got like 17 different individual spoke 
like mm. sizes that I could tighten with it. Of course, every motorcycle I have has the same size nipples on it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, that's bougie. Yeah. So that didn't work. Now, and part of me knew it wasn't going to work, even though I got out the tools. Like you can you can do that. Plus, on the once you take the tire and the rim strip off, on the back side of them, you can put um, either a like a, a square drive or a flat headed screwdriver, depending on how the spokes are made. And that's so when you're building them, you can just sort of zip, you know, the nipples on quickly. And um, uh, so, like, I tried it with a flat headed screwdriver on the back, and like one moved. So even though I got out the right tools, you know, I got out my tire irons, took the tire off, I did all these things that I was gonna do. Um, I did dive right in and I was like, all right, angle grinder. <laughs> <laughs> because spokes, uh, like a bicycle, you could you could theoretically clip the spokes with wire cutters or something, but motorcycle spokes are heavy enough that it's just right to the angle grinder. So I just zipped through them and cut all the spokes off. And it, it, it's... I'm kind of surprised ways, you don't have bolt cutters. You know, and the reason I knew that this was acceptable, this goes back to my love of Dakar, of all things. And I remember watching Dakar coverage one year, and they were going through the motorcycle pits. And every day, like the big pro teams, the the KTM team and the, the BMW team would come in, and the mechanics would, would pull the wheels off the bikes and, and, like, prep the bikes. And the second thing they do is they take the day's wheels and they'd bring them back and they'd take the tires off of them and they'd take bolt cutters and they'd cut all the spokes. They wouldn't undo them. They would just cut all the spokes and rebuild the wheels that night. And I remember watching them just snap through the spokes and I was just blown away that that spokes were... To that point, I'd never like really adjusted a wheel before, but to see spokes be disposable was... In, in that thing, because these spokes had ridden one day, right? That's as, as long as these spokes were going to live. One sure. day. And they just popped them with a, with a bolt cutter. And so, yeah, I should probably have a bolt cutter. But really, once you have an angle grinder, do you need a bolt cutter? I mean, that's a fair question. Uh, like, what I are you going to use a bolt cutter for that an angle grinder wouldn't be slightly better for? To be honest, I, I find the sound of a bolt cutter to be much more satisfying. You just get that really nice click. Other than cutting locks off and stealing things, what are you using a bolt cutter for? Well, I mean, what can't you use a bolt cutter for? <laughs> get creative. Have you, have you ever... Okay, that's the other question. Have you ever actually cut a bolt with a bolt cutter? Uh, no. <laughs> I've definitely cut a padlock or two. Uh, totally legit reasons. Totally legit. Sure. sure. It was your padlock, I'm sure. Sure. And um, fencing. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Although, have you ever tried an angle grinder on fencing? No, I'm sure it'd go a lot quicker. Yeah, uh, it just zips right through it. It's fantastic. Would be my guess. Yeah. See, one, one of my go-to tools is my vice grips. That's one of my <sighs> oh crap vice tools. Grips. Vice grips, never the right tool. No. But I actually used mine so much that I had to get a new pair recently because the teeth on my old ones were <laughs> pretty dull <laughs> and I really needed new teeth to really bite in. And you're going to cry when I tell you what it was for because I kind of did. It's because the uh, 
I took my coilovers apart instantly. <laughs> you know what what happened? <laughs> Tried to take them apart, and the top nuts wouldn't come off. And when right. the top nuts don't want to come off, everything spins. Right. So you have to grab the shaft to stop. Do you it just from grab the shaft with naked vice grips and get on no. with your life? No, I mean, good God, no. That's <laughs> that's, that's that's what cruel. I thought you were saying. That was freaking me out here. No, but I mean, you, I still need the extra like grump from the the new the new teeth. No, I, I wrapped it with some rags, but you can't wrap it with too many because then you lose all your clamping force. There's a fine line in trying not to mar a a strut shaft, but not too much to where you actually get grip on it. Can I give you a can I give you a pro tip here? This is for oh. everybody who's listening to the oh show. God. Probably a bunch oh of God. you know this. Okay. The, ne- the next time you change a serpentine belt, keep it. Yeah, I've tried that trick. Just wrapping a small chunk out and then crap and then grabbing grabbing with vice grip. So instead of your rags, you take oh. like a four inch piece of it and you fold it over the shaft and then Son grab that horse. with the vice grips. Yeah, I totally didn't think about that. All right, you win. Damn it. It, worked. it it doesn't always work, but it's a good intermediate step before you resort to things that you definitely shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea much better. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So anyway, it, the other thing is it's free. And once and and with how serpentine belts are these days, they're like 38 feet long. Like yeah. you could wrap it around your entire car. So one serpentine belt will last you for the the rest of your mechanicing. So well, hopefully I didn't screw them up too bad to where they're going to leak or anything. So I tried to take care. We'll see. So angle grinder. Yeah, the uh, cut spokes with the angle grinder. And then they were all seized into the hub anyway. And I had to use the Dremel, which is really just a mini angle grinder um, yep. to, to cut spokes shorter and then hit them with a hammer and use a punch and a whole bunch of other things. And now I understand why nobody really rebuilds wheels that are beyond a certain point. Because if I was charging myself shop labor, I'd already be like $200 into rebuilding this wheel and all I've done is taken it apart. So uh, that would be dumb. Also, motorcycle wheels are way too expensive, but that's another thing. So do you know when you get into projects like these, do you know what you need to do ahead of time? <laughs> no, I usually know what I should need to do. And that's a lot different than knowing what I will need to do that's in fair. the end. That's fair. Um, and I think that's part of becoming a mechanic is knowing what the next step is. Because the first time, like you're you're from Michigan, you've taken apart rusty things. And... Like, you know, like, okay, I need to replace shocks. Okay, what one would do when replacing a shock is is take out the bolt at either end of the shock and take out the old shock and put sure. in the new shock. Yes. And so, so knowing that's the way to do it is a lot different than what you actually need to do to do that a lot of the time. Um, you get, you know, torches and nut splitters and sawzalls and, and, and all of the things that you need to accomplish a task versus the tool that you should need to accomplish the task. Um, yeah, usually in Michigan cars, P 
PB Blaster the day before. Usually, usually one of my go-tos. Yeah. Yeah, you should buy PB Blaster by the gallon uh, yeah. up there. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. Um, most, so yeah, of, it was... most of my stuff, though, I, I try to stay up on maintenance as much as I can. Um, so most of them aren't bad, but yeah, it's especially in any state that uses salt to theoretically keep ice off the road and give cars better grip it's things are gonna get ugly you need a handheld torch you need pb blaster yeah you need a breaker bar a hammer and sawzall slash cutoff wheel at the very end (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's sort of where where it that's goes. That's the nuclear option. <laughs> yeah, in there, and that's the funny thing is sawzalls and cutoff wheels kind of accomplish the same task, but the the angles you need to use them at mean that as a mechanic, those are two separate tools that you will need at different times, which is weird. That like, and I guess that's the other you know part of becoming a mechanic is everybody's like, cool, I'm gonna buy a socket set, and then I'll be a mechanic. And it's like. I mean, a socket set will help you with nuts and bolts that come out the way the factory intended, which depending on where you live and what job you're doing is maybe all of them, but probably not. And then the actual mechanic part is like like your coilovers where you're like, cool, that didn't unbolt. Not a thing that happened. Or even for struts in general, the fact that um, an impact gun helps immeasurably to to take that top nut off and spring compressors and all that nonsense that you know like like the the idea that you have that you need a toolbox for your sockets is absurd because your sockets take up i mean in my case my sockets take up like five percent of my total tool volume because all the rest of my tools are the nonsense that it takes to actually accomplish tasks like angle grinders and sawzalls and torches and crap yeah it's almost like the the entire learning progression that we start off not knowing what we don't know you know we start out starry-eyed dreamers this is going to be great all i need is a couple screwdrivers some wrenches some sockets maybe a torque wrench if you're doing your due diligence uh, nobody's starting out. Nobody starting out knows about torque wrenches unless I, kids these days do that. Do, do kids I, these days like jump right to torque wrenches? Well, at least for like wheels and lug nuts and stuff. I I would hope that in the track community that that's that's become at least basic common knowledge. But I got a I got a story about that that I can tell later. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you start out like that, really not. And I don't want to say not knowing, but just simply not having had the experiences to demonstrate how badly things can go wrong. (laughs) You know, you haven't been hurt yet. (laughs) Right. Everything's new. There's daisies springing up. Butterflies are all around. The world is beautiful. And then something hurts you. Yeah, like when you've got a shop manual and it's got like step one, do this. And it very rarely does it go according to that. 
Yeah. But again, you don't know that at the beginning. So what's the uh, so what's the step after not knowing what you don't know? Uh, improvising. I don't know. I've I think I've gotten better at improvising. That's that's the big thing. And maybe that's uh, a life skill in general. We get better at improvising everything since being an adult. As a kid, you think adults like they know things, right? You know how to pay bills, and you know how to pay taxes and you know how to do this stuff fix sinks and do all that and then when you become an adult you're like nobody knows anything they're all just making it up as they go along and you just get better and better at improvising um everything i think drawing on that experiences on all those experiences that you've had i mean the whatever's currently going on may not be like anything you've experienced before but it's a little bit like that one time and a little bit like that other time and so you can kind of combine those experiences and synthesize something brand new even if you've never done it before i think what has to come after not knowing what you don't know is just kind of feeling lost in general (laughs) like lost (laughs) and overwhelmed yeah because all of a sudden you're encountering these things that are new and previously to you unexplained just overwhelmed you don't know what to do you don't know where to go should i even be doing this in the first place this is all dumb i want to hit it with something i think that's got to be step two plunge into darkness i remember so i bought a brand new 2001 ford focus in 2001 Mm. first new car i ever bought and uh, I don't go to dealers for anything, and I haven't—I don't know that I've ever paid for an oil change. It's just not my jam, right? Yep. And so I have cars—cars cars three thousand miles old, brand new. And I, <laughs> I have it up on jack stands, and I'm underneath it, and I cannot get the oil filter off. Can't, cannot get the oil filter off, because they put it on at the factory with whatever. <laughs> giant herculean mechanical device put it on yep and i finally get to the point where i've i have a gigantic pair of channel locks and i'm you know with oil filters you're always trying to grab them gently because they're it's like grabbing an an empty pop can right like you can only grab it so much and then it squishes in in itself and you lose your grip anyway so you kind of want to maintain that structural integrity as much as you can so nah. I'm grabbing it gently and grabbing it gently, and then, nah. it, you know, it collapses on itself. So I have a 3,000-mile yep. car, and it's collapsed. I have a collapsed oil filter. And the, and the next, what's your what's your next go-to for oil filters at that point? After if, it's been you, cr- After it's been after crushed. After it's been crushed. Still stuck to the car, crushed. The longest screwdriver and a hammer I can get. Exactly. So here I am. I have a brand-new car. 3,000 miles on it, and I'm driving a screwdriver through the oil filter and was like, what is my life? (laughs) What's going on? How did I get here? And it worked because, you know, it it worked. This is one of those things that that 99% of the time you, like, you have an arsenal of things to make it work. Um, But that was, I definitely questioned myself in that moment. Yeah. Um, that I was a I was grown up enough to pay for a new car, 
but not nearly grown up enough to admit that I was jamming a screwdriver through an oil filter on a brand new car. And that was weird. The thing that scared me one of the times when I had to do that is I started, you know, once I get that screwdriver all the way through, I started trying to to push it to loosen it and it started to tear through everything. And oh, I'm yeah. like, if this actually goes all the way through, like I don't have a step after that. <laughs> that, that is a dead end for me. Um, fortunately, it tore a little bit and then it caught enough material. I don't know that it, it finally went, but I, I had a moment. Yeah, it, that was with the focus. It was the same way. That was that was my pause as it started to tear. And I thought, like, I can't I mean, you can't even start the car to roll it back out of the garage. Right. You just have to call somebody with a tow truck and say, save me. I yep. screwed up. Yep. Um, yep. Duct tape would only get you so far for that one. Yeah, there's not a whole lot you could do in that case. But, yeah, that's that's the the library of experiences and and some of those experiences then bring you to buy another tool things like um today i had to i had to, to get all those spokes out of the hub and i have a set of punches yep so i would you know get get the spokes moving and get them cut as flat as i could fairly close to the hub and then i could i could drive them out with punches and I don't even remember when I got the punches. It's been a while ago, but certainly when I was 17, 25, 30, I didn't have, you know, a drawer with a set of punches in it to to drive things out like that. That's a tool, you know, a set that I bought at some point because I needed it for something, and now I use them all the time. And um, later on, I was uh, pushing bearings out with a shop press, and I only bought my shop press I don't know, five or six years ago, and I use my shop press all the time, like constantly. Um, yeah, I just and got I actually, one a couple months ago. They're phenomenal. Yeah. Like I fixed my vacuum cleaner with a shop press. Like I use it. <laughs> <laughs> swear, swear to God, I pressed a bushing onto the 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 roller of the vacuum cleaner with a shop press. Um, I do spring testing with my shop press, like. Anything you might need to squish, I squish it with my shop press. And I use it all the time. And I have a, I bought a full set of sockets, um, uh, half-inch drive, yep. that, that go from, they're the, it's the full Tekton set that goes from whatever, like 10 millimeter to 36 or something. They're just giant. They yep. don't skip a size. Every single millimeter and the equivalent SAE set. Oh wow! And I bought. I don't have that one. I've got. I've got the Miller set that skips a few lesser used ones, but. No, I purposely bought the one that doesn't skip a size, not because I thought I was going to use them for nuts and bolts, but because I wanted a full set of anvils for using the shop press, yeah. because I press. You know, that's my go-to, and in in every shop I've been in, like you have some anvils that are the right size for pushing things but 99 percent of the time you grab a socket and you mash it with a socket yeah i um, do remember i have installed a wheel bearing um after freezing it overnight because i didn't have a press um yeah. so you know did the whole freeze and hit it with a hammer a bunch that was a nerve-wracking uh that was a nerve-wracking time <laughs> I bought my shop press 
I think because I was doing um, bearings on a Subaru yeah. that I that I owned briefly, and I think that's why I bought the shop press because I was like, all right, now it's time. Yeah, we shared our distaste of Subarus, but uh, yeah, I'll do that repeatedly. <laughs> I'll always share my. I mean, they're they're great until they're not. But no, if you want to know about freezing bearings, learned so uh, at the at the pump shop I worked at bearings are a thing we had to do all the time we have an inductive bearing heater because sometimes you need bearings to be bigger yep. sometimes you need bearings to be littler and when we need things to be littler we'd throw them in a cooler with dry ice because dry ice is way colder than your freezer yep. but the the recent uh advancement in freezing bearing technology is dry ice and acetone oh yeah S because the slurry. you because you have that yeah and it like <laughs> putting bearings on like that is like doing ring toss it shrinks them so much they just go katunk and fall on in those in those cases where a bearing is going inside something it's phenomenal yep. so anyone else who's listening dry ice and acetone in a five gallon bucket change also life. great for taking out tar out of your race car that sound deadening tar so uh yeah highly highly recommended that so so if the first step is not knowing what you don't know, so you're a little cocky, a little wide-eyed, a little naive, and then you plunge into darkness. You realize how little you know. You kind of get broken down. But I think at that point, I think that's an important part because then at that time, you can start really learning and really paying attention, talking and learning from people who have been there or who know more than you you can right you know take your time with a a job or a mod that you're doing to really learn it and if something goes bad you know you've got to do some research on a 20 year old forum post that just happens to have a little bit of information that you need um don't and just as a side rant let's not abandon the forum because forum threads yeah, absolutely. are amazing. I know we all like Facebook groups because they get us answers quicker, but forum posts are golden. Don't don't lose them. I will say the internet has changed mechanicking immeasurably. Um, the the ability to go ask a question or search for something versus when I was when I first was learning mechanic stuff in high school and my dad is a, is like a brilliant human being when it comes to things that bleed, like he can take something and like reassemble dead things and make them alive again um, as a veterinarian. He's phenomenal. But if you give him nuts and bolts, he's lost and has no idea what to do. So I largely had to, to learn mechanicking from friends and the, the tried and true, like go to the parts store and ask the dude at the counter what to do. Um, that's like if it wasn't written down in your shop manual and your grandpa wasn't available, you you went to the parts store. I rode my bike to the parts store to ask questions of the guy at the counter yeah. before you could look stuff up on the internet. And those old school parts guys were phenomenal. Um, they would you know take a part out of the box and show you what needed to happen and how it was going to go together and give you tips and and all that's on the internet now. And you know that's being being able to pull out your phone. Um, and that's the second thing is being able to pull out your phone versus having to wash your hands and go back inside and use the computer um, <laughs> is a big step as well. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, that, that collective information and, and so much of it's on the forums, uh, especially if you drive a Subaru, you know, the, the fact that Subarus break all the time made for one of the best forum experiences ever. Um, amateur Subaru mechanics are kind and giving and sharing as far as information goes. They'll help each other fix anything. What forum was this on? I was on a couple Subaru forums when I had the the Sabaru. Uh, one of them was not so great. Uh, another was I, much better. I've, <laughs> I've never been a member of a Subaru forum. Okay. Like I have just searched them when when in need, and I will say that there are aspects of Subaru forums that are abrasive, but the information is there. Um, nobody holds it so tight that they haven't written it down at some point. Yeah, I always find uh, the which, which is good. The signal to noise ratio on different forums is different, <laughs> and finding uh, yeah, finding the best signal uh, is especially on forums can take time. Like sometimes you've got to hang out in one for a while to really see what it's got to offer. I came up on the forums. Yeah. Um, really getting to know people and you know some of the stuff we were doing nobody had really like looked into um, others you know was kind of tried and true and you know just compiling it into an easy to search for an easy to uh, understand way was some of the other things so so forums online sources are good um, you know, Haynes Manual, a lot of people or you know, those off-the-shelf manuals, they're, I feel like they're good for, again, kind of like getting your feet wet, just kind of dipping into certain things, but boy, they're not much good beyond a certain step, and I feel like at that point... Right. You got to find like an online version of the shop manual. You got to buy a shop manual. Um, do you like paper manuals? I do for the searchability of them. Uh, you know, I can kind of put sticky notes in them for often used uh, torque values and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I prefer paper over a downloadable copy typically okay i i feel the same the same way i really really love paper shop manuals yep. um the only time i i sort of have a mixed i developed slightly mixed feelings when i was fixing the mercedes because i got a copy of what's called the mercedes star service manual on cd and the star service manual will take you through any repair step-by-step step from open the hood to close the hood like it's got everything in there with the exception of there there's there's definitely some you know like assembly is the reverse cool i'm 89 steps into this and step 90 is assembly is the reverse awesome <laughs> <laughs> so you have to work your way backwards through everything you've done but but, you know, they had, they told you every torque value, had a picture for everything, told you any special tool that was needed. And they did it in such a way that, that I don't, it would be very hard to do a paper shop manual like that because it was very much a choose your own adventure type structure to the computer program. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that was that was a phenomenal resource. Um, and I don't know if if other service service programs on the somebody would have to tell us somebody listens to the show who actually gets access to the big computers at a at a shop would have to tell us if modern if all modern service programs are like that or if i just got lucky with the mercedes one Um, well that was something you i think feel like you absolutely would have had to be able to rebuild that engine I mean, you could have, with enough knowledge, you could have gone through it anyway because it's an engine's an engine, right? So you can you can figure out most of that stuff if you've pulled ahead and if you've pulled and reinstalled ahead, you've pulled and reinstalled ahead. Yeah, um, but like gaps and clearances and tolerances, I feel like I don't know. There's a there's a lot of them. There yeah. was <laughs> there was there was a lot of torques. There was a lot. I mean, it, it requires three different size torque wrenches to assemble that motor. Yeah. Um, because you're doing everything from these tiny little M5 bolts, which were everywhere in aluminum, all the way to the crank bolt, which, you know, took like whatever it was, 300 pound feet to, to do. So, um, and that's just was the nature of that motor to completely, and I guess, you know, a lot of motors are like that. Uh, the Miatas that I've worked on are actually surprisingly simple. It's either like a small bolt that doesn't require much torque or it's a big one that does. And those are the two sizes that they use. Um, But, yeah, I'm a fan of paper manuals. All the motorcycles I have, almost every motorcycle I have, the first thing I do when I bring a motorcycle home is order a a paper shop manual because those are pretty reasonably priced for most everything. You spend, you know, 30 30 to 60 bucks, and I find that they're useful. So I've got a big stack of them that I I do for, for motorcycles. The other place I like to go, and it's less of a place, is kind of after getting to know people in the track community and elsewhere like you, just assembling like a group of gurus around you, like people who have been doing car things for at least as long as you have and probably a lot more. They they just have more... just more experiences to pull from more tricks that they've learned and it it is kind of a almost a mentoring thing like you have to get people in your life who've done more to help you along so that you can you know not break anything hopefully and pass some of this learned and acquired knowledge on this is where i'm where I lament the loss of forums in general um, because one of the, the great things on forums was always the build thread. And when you were actively doing a build thread, um, a lot of times you it was just like you posting. And I would post to my build threads like part numbers and things, you know, and pictures that I knew I would have to look at later. And I would use it as a store of my own information. Yep. Um, which was always there. But the second thing is when you're doing a build thread, you've always got one or two or ten guys. It's essentially having having a number of people looking over your shoulder, drinking coffee, just sort of, you know, watching what you're doing. Yeah. And, and hey, have you considered doing this or did you take into consideration this thing? Right. 
And that's the, the big reason I look at build threads is the same way, like build threads on cars that I'm familiar with. It's not like I'm going to read a Miata thread. And with the exception of like when you look at Keith Tanner's build threads and you're like, oh, cool, Keith does stuff that, that people aren't doing. Yep. It's cool. But but for the most part, you know, everything that has that could be done with a Miata has been done with a Miata. So why would you pay attention to build threads? And the fact is, like, every now and again, you're like, oh, dude, uh, try this. It's better. Like like putting RTV at the corners of the the um, valve cover gaskets. Like when you watch somebody do the valve cover gasket the first time and you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I know it says use RTV there. They're serious. Yeah. Use that. No, I, because no, otherwise it's going to leak. Yeah, no, no, actually, like, seriously, it's, it's an important thing. And so, you know, there, there's those little things, you know, always a little thing where some dude goes, oh, yeah, remember to use ERTV. And it makes somebody's life better because it's just some guy drinking coffee, you know, looking over your shoulder. And uh, it's very, very helpful. And I feel like there are a few ways as you're gaining experience and knowledge and tricks that you've kind of acquired or are acquiring over time you you could certainly get cocky again and you know kind of lord it over people you can kind of be a jerk about what you know and make other people feel bad for not knowing about it but I think it's helpful to remember that you know they were you at some point right there was a point where you didn't know as much and to get some help like it's let's not do hazing okay like just because somebody doesn't know everything a month into this specific car ownership doesn't make them a bad person doesn't make them dumb it just means that they haven't done it yet Um, right so i mean my certainly my encouragement would be don't be a don't be a dick um you know help people i mean we've if we've had experiences we don't have to say hey you have to do this this is the only way but it's like a lot of times i find it's well in my experience this is what's worked for me and i hope it works for you if not like i would love to know how you did it Uh, because maybe the way you figured out by yourself is better than anything i've come across do you have any particular place on the internet that you find to be more supportive? You said there's some Subaru forums that's that are less supportive, but yeah, and and if you're in the Subaru community, I think you know. And and forums kind of go through a ebb and flow at times. Um, right. You know, I was when I was deep into the forums, I was kind of into some niche cars that. Fortunately, there weren't that many forums to be a part of. Uh, yes. I feel like you're talking about PT Cruiser. That is one right of the now, things but. I am talking about. Uh, there were <laughs> two forums, uh, active forums for PT Cruisers. One was uh, ptcruiserlinks.com, and the other was PT Crew. Um, links, when I you know, became a part of it, uh, was super lame and just people putting fuzzy dice and chrome stick on things everywhere. And PT Crew was the place that, like, if you wanted to try to make your car faster and better and do all that sort of stuff, that's where you hung out. So that's where, that's where I hung out. Um, 
and you get to know people even I still have good friends I could call it now that I've never met in person uh, and I've known them for over 10 years now yeah and that I, I think that's cool I think that's genuinely cool and one of the questions always to me that you know people would always laugh at how you've got friends you've never met off the internet that's so lame it's like yeah but it's genuine community and like i actually saw a group of people on this forum actually pool their money together that it was like got like five or six grand put together to help this other member get their car up and running because it had been parked for like two or three years and he had been going through a lot of personal stuff during that time so they all put their money together to get uh, one of the members who is a certified mechanic to fly out spend a couple days there and get his car up and running and it's like that like genuinely that was that's amazing and yeah. that was with a bunch of people who had never met each other. <laughs> right. And and I have met, it's interesting, I've had friends that I've had for years that I have met in person um, just because of car forums. And actually the, the whole reason, I don't want to say the reason I autocross, but the reason I started autocrossing was, uh, was a focus forum member that said, you should come do this thing with me. And that was the first time I ever met him in person was when I showed up at a Houston autocross. He said, look for the guy in the blue focus. You know, you know what it looks like because you've seen pictures of it on the forum. And I found him and he actually only autocrossed for for less than a year after that. And, you know, I got into it heavy and, and have continued to invite people um, to try to pay that back since that one time, you know, like be that guy. Yeah. Um, and and we can be the reason that somebody gets into this sport. Uh, we can right. also help be the reason that they never want to do it again. <laughs> this uh, is true. I mean, we gen you genuinely have that power and that capability on both sides. Um, so it's you know what? How do you want to do it? Um, personally, I I try to work very hard to invite people out and try to give them at least a small space that they feel known and identified immediately it's like it's like you i mean you're going to someplace completely foreign physically mentally right. emotionally and and you just know one thing there's this weird thing where guys do kind of fast dish things in a parking lot but i know this one car and i know the person who belongs to that car seems to be looking after my best interests yeah and i always say the the hardest part of your first autocross has nothing to do with driving um that is it fantastic. is yeah track stuff too yeah. getting Track stuff, yeah, track stuff is exactly the same. You know, it, it's getting to the event. It's understanding how to get your car through tech, yeah. how to go through registration, like what the track walk means. How do you go, like, what does the word paddock even mean? They're like, oh, paddock is over there. Cool. I don't even know what that word yeah, means. Paddock, So you grid, told me paddock. Flags. Paddock, grid, yeah, it's, it's what, specialized yeah. language. And so like the, 
the actual driving around the cones is what people are worried about when they think of, oh, I'm going to go to my first autocross. I want to drive well. The driving is the easiest thing you're going to do all day. Yeah, it is figuring so out and on track the same way. I would say it's even more so on track because, in all honesty, driving around a racetrack is not hard the first time you do it. Um, because, and I know that sounds completely dumb to say, oh, the first time you drive around a track, it's it's not hard. But the fact is, all of the things you're going to learn, like going fast and car control and all of those things, are things that you don't learn until you learn to watch for corner workers and do point buys and do, you know, learn what grid in and grid out, you know, track in and track out is and how to grid when you get to that and all that stuff. There, there's so many things going on that, you know, most of your sessions, 20, 25 minute sessions are going to be whatever, eight laps long. You're just going to go do eight laps and be off. And, and you kind of never, like, it's awesome. It's exhilarating. It's the best thing ever. But your ability to drive the car fast or well is kind of, I don't want to say it's the least important thing, but it's the least hard thing you're going to do all weekend. So the two things I think I'd encourage people to do is like, don't be afraid to ask the seemingly dumb and simple questions because I guarantee you, you are not the only one wondering what the answers are. And if you see somebody who's potentially lost <laughs> or <laughs> or doesn't look <laughs> like they have an idea, remember that you at some point were a lost puppy too. <laughs> and that did, right. doesn't make you dumb. That doesn't make you anything bad. It just means that you haven't done it before. Yeah. Hey, text right up there. If you go up there, just hop in line, go say hi. They will absolutely take care of you. Just hand them off. Just a simple direction sometimes is all it takes. And just ask the question like, so what, you know, so when we're giving point buys, like what side of the car should I give a point buy on? That's an excellent question. <laughs> it is. Um, where, how do I get, to where I need to go to be able to get out on track when you don't know the language of paddock right away and flow and where grid is, whatever grid is. Like, just ask the question and be there to help others once you know an answer. I mean, it's, it seems basic, but it doesn't happen all the time. Right. And you and and Adam Jabay will teach all of us this that that we create the culture that we want to see in a community. We create the community itself, um, but the culture is a is a conscious thing. Like if this is awesome, it's because somebody worked to make it awesome. Um, because we could have worked to make it horrible as well. Um, grid life could be horrible. Absolutely. But there's a bunch of people working to make it awesome instead. So what's the uh, what's the question this week? You think? What do you mean? What's uh, the question? Oh, well, what's the question this week? Crush washers. <laughs> I told you I'd bring this back you did. around. We're uh, crush washers. We're, we're getting towards the end here. Yeah. So crush washers. Don't use the plastic ones. They suck. Um, it's got to be metal, copper if it's some kind of fluid, uh, like brake fluid and water, 
and uh, straight metal if it's gear lube or engine oil. That's my stand. And and so when I read my my Hanes service manual, it says uh, you know replace the crush washer. Yep. <laughs> if, so how you do anything is is how you do everything. How often do you replace the crush washer, Scott? Uh, I don't replace it every time, but I replace it more often than friends that I know. Looking at you, I I don't think I have ever consciously replaced a crush washer that wasn't so incredibly screwed up that it didn't hold liquid anymore. I think that's the definition like, of what a crush washer does. <laughs> Yeah, but well, yeah, but but by definition, like, like it, even in even in brake lines, I'll pull brake lines off and be like, "Man, eh, it looks good. Put it back together." And if it's not leaking, it's not leaking. And I know that sounds terrible, and I really yeah. shouldn't do that. That's pretty much how I roll. That's <laughs> again, ex experience has shown you that that tends to be more true than not. Yeah, and I would agree. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's the question. Uh, that would be my, like, are we to the end of the show where we ask people oh, yeah. questions? I have no idea how oh, yeah. long we're doing this. All right. So that's going to be kind of our question of the week. Uh, do you replace crush washers? And why? And, and why? What, what has happened to you that has led you to replace crush washers or not replace crush washers? I feel like this is like an optimist, pessimist <laughs> test. Or do like on your tow rig, you're like, yep, got a factory crush washer on there, 220,000 miles, put on your race car every time. Every time. Is it, are you one of those people? I am. My, uh, my daily driver has a crush washer on the oil drain plug that really needs to be replaced. It's not currently <laughs> leaking though. So, but it's anyway. It, it's getting to look funny, a little, little squeezed out. Yeah. It, ne next time. <laughs> next time yeah but the problem is you never remember that, right that is the problem so you get into the oil change and then you're like oh man and you just but put it back in on. my case i can just take the race <laughs> car to the uh the part shop that's true all right so we are track walking uh you can find us on facebook and instagram at track walking podcast please 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 give us a rating and review on whatever platform it really does help other people find us and um Maybe we want to be found. So that might be fun. Uh, track Walking Chats is our Facebook group. Uh, feel free to post like an interesting article or just a weird question. Maybe that could be our forum, Track Walking Chats. Yeah. So if you uh, have any tips, um, questions, comments, thoughts, anything like that, that goes there. Um, yeah. You want to uh, do us out or you want me oh. to? <laughs> For this week, I'm Seth. And I am Scott. And we are track walking. We'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.